First of all, thanks to uh, Jordan for stepping up. Uh, this morning I got here and um, he said, uh, we changed every song. And I'm thinking, we usually don't do that. So what's happening? And I said, um, and Daisy said, we had to change the songs. So Daisy told me that. She went to a women's conference this weekend and God really moved and worked. And so she came back with a, uh, couldn't say a word. So um, you can't fault somebody for worshiping God till you can't even uh, speak anymore, can you? Amen? So th- thanks for the team to, to jumping on that and doing that. Thank you, Jordan, for, for uh, throwing together some stuff this morning, man, and um, just, just allowing God to use you and, and do that. Well, welcome to Thrive Church this morning. It's a pleasure to have you guys here with us. Um, if you're a first-time guest... You should have received a life book. If you didn't, I'm going to bop somebody on the head. Um, but you should have received a life book. And in there is a guest card. And if you will, fill that guest card out for us and get it back to us if you've not filled one of those out yet. And we'd love to get your information. And don't forget, we've got something big coming up. Actually, a couple things big. Next weekend, next Saturday, we've got a back-to-school bash at Bensley Elementary. We are looking at providing around 300 bags of school supplies for children. Amen? Is that... Is that exciting? You know, and, and, and people will say, well, you're small, so what do you do? Um, the Bible always speaks of small things making great impact. Amen. Jesus had 12 men. His church was 12, and they changed the world. That's pretty powerful. And so we're going to do that next weekend. If you want to help, we'd welcome you guys' as help. We're going to be having face painting, cupcakes. If you want cupcakes and make cupcakes for us, we're going to be getting the kids that. Tammy will help you. Tammy, will you wave everybody? Let me call you out. But Tammy will help you out there. And she is organizing cupcakes and drinks and all that stuff for us. Um, we want to have, give these kids a great time. Let me tell you a story real quick. We did a, um, an, a big Easter explosion at an apartment complex in Florida when we were pastoring our church there. And we did it for around 300 kids or so. And, um, you know, it, it was a fun time. But, you know, for us, we had done many of those. And we kind of, every year as a church, we do that. We had one little girl come, and she said, this is the best day of my life. See, you don't know when you do things like that how much it impacts children, especially in this county. And so we're excited. August 25th, 10 a.m. at Bensley. Um, I've got a sign-up sheet in the back if you want to help. So that's huge. But we got something just as big coming up in September, our grand opening. Amen? Are you guys excited about that? That day we'll be celebrating the homecoming for the ones of Bellwood PH and Courts of Praise who were the core here when I came. We're going to celebrate those guys and what, and what they have done and the history. But we're also going to have the grand opening for Thrive Church here as well. We have a meal that day after service. We have free gift card giveaways. We have inflatables for kids. And Randy and I are trying to get a fire truck out here for the kids to play on and, 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 and do. So we're trying to do all that. That's our grand opening September 30th. If you'll notice up front we have all these little cards here they're for you they're your ammunition to invite everyone you know you know whenever I go through the toll sometimes what I'll do when I hand her my money I'll say hey this is a great church I go to I don't tell people I'm the pastor you know especially when I invite them I say hey this is a, I love this church you got to come to it and they come like hey but you're the pastor um, it's a really cool thing so pass those cards out we have door hangers too but guys we're believing God to do a great work that day and not just to fill this building up that day but there's people who desperately need the gospel there are people who really need to be refreshed and renewed and we're believing for that to be that day for us to connect with them amen, amen. 
What's good again to have you guys here. We're in the book of Acts. We're now in chapter 7. If you've been following along every week with us, we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So go ahead and turn your Bibles this morning if you have them or your copy of God's Word to Acts 7 verse 60. Um, we're going to attempt something really cool for you. I'm going to put a, have a PowerPoint that will go along with my message. So if you did not bring your copy of God's Word, we're going to help you out. And you can thank me after the service for that. Amen. Acts 7.60. As you're turning there, I want to tell you this from Malcolm Muggeridge. He said, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seem especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience, has been through affliction and not through happiness. Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. That was from Malcolm Muggeridge. Now look at Acts 7 verse 60. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he, being Stephen, had said this, he died. This morning's message is entitled, Terrible 2. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would use me, God. Father, I pray that these would be words that would bring life. Jesus' words were spirit and life. I pray, Lord, that I could just do something like he would do, Lord, and bring spirit and life to people. I pray, God, that we would understand what the terrible two is all about, Lord, and how to embrace that properly. God, I just pray for every person in here that is facing suffering or unforgiveness, that, God, this would be a road map on how they can see you move in their life. Lord, we thank you so much for being active in our life, for working in every situation, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we're in a series called Dangerous Church, if you've been with us, and now this is like the eighth or ninth week of it. And what we've been investigating is the book of Acts. And we've been looking at the book of Acts at a dangerous church there. Because in the book of Acts, they impacted their world in a major way. And so we've been looking at the blueprint of what a dangerous church is about. And you say, dangerous church, though. What do you mean by that? Jesus said in Matthew 16... And you'll remember this by the time we get through this series. He said, and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, when Jesus spoke about the church, and that's us together, it's not an institution, but it's a living organism, the body. He said that I will build my church. That's Jesus being revealed to people, them being saved, them coming to know him. And when they get together, the gates of hell will not prevail. That means that Jesus, as I said before, if you go to a community, uh, um, gated community, and you drive in a gated community, what are the gates there for? To keep people out. Undesired people who are not part of that community. is to protect them. Friends, when Jesus said the gates of hell, what he was saying is that hell has this gated community. And they're scared to death of the church. Satan is scared of what the church's potential can truly be. And so when Jesus envisioned the church, he did not envision a group of people huddled together praying for Jesus to come back quickly because it's so bad around here. He envisioned a church, he envisioned people who would storm the gates of hell, who would plunder hell and populate heaven. Amen? And that's what he envisioned. And I really believe with all of my heart that that's what he wants to do in this local assembly of believers is have a dangerous church. The sad thing is most churches are just dangerous to people. Amen. 
Most churches are just dangerous to people. They hurt people. They, they, they gossip about people. They, they're not dangerous to the kingdom of Satan. Some churches are even partnered with it. Oh, come on. Well, well, how could a church, how could you say that? We sing songs, but you know, we're just dangerous to each other. I don't want to be that church. I want to be a safe place for people and dangerous to the gates of hell. And this morning what I want to do, and I'll talk to you about the terrible two and how that makes us a dangerous church because I believe if us as individuals understand the terrible two, then we will begin to see God's presence move in our life. The terrible two is this, suffering and forgiveness. In, in Acts chapter 7, you're going to see here, and we're going to delve into it, that a man faced great suffering and was able to give forgiveness. And that's one of our, our keys if you're being a dangerous church, and if for you being a dangerous church, because you are the church, right? You've got to understand that suffering is part of the Christian life. Now, now I understand that most guys who ask for you to send them money and they'll send you singing angels on TV don't preach on this stuff. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible really says. There's a theology of suffering in the Bible. And that theology of suffering means that we will face hardships as believers. And sometimes God will not come and just rescue us out of it. And so what happens is when you look at suffering, there's really two extreme points of it. Some people believe we just deserve to suffer. In the Pentecostal holiness church in the old days, it was called Pentecostal holiness because they believe if the, more, the more broke you were, the more holy you were. <laughs> I mean, really, it's like, let's don't have anything, you know. Um, and then you, so you have this extreme view of that we deserve to suffer and suffering is holiness. No, that's not true either. But then you have this other view that we've been exposed to in the last 30 years that if you are suffering or you are sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. And if you just had more faith, God would heal you and God would deliver you. And what you see in the book of Acts, and if you read the Bible, the Bi listen, the Bible says the scripture cannot be broken. That means you can't take a verse out of Mark and say that God will give you whatever you want and then apply it to every facet of life because Stephen didn't have this happen for him, did he? And when you read the book of Acts, these were people who were under great persecution and great suffering, but they saw awesome things happen. And I believe sometimes you're at your best when you're suffering. I said this before. The Bible says there was a lady who lost a coin. And she swept her whole house clean looking for that one coin. See, her loss, her tragedy was the coin. But she swept her whole house clean looking for that one coin. See, there's sometimes in life that when we begin to seek God, when we lose something, we actually get things cleaned up we never would have cleaned up before. That's how suffering pays into our life. Amen? And, and here's what I, what I actually put on, on Twitter and Facebook this week. This is one of the, the, the things that the Lord really touched me on. The most important outcome of any situation is not that we get something from God. But we are transformed into the image of God. See, see, God's goal for us is not to make us happier and, and more blessed and, and everything to line up so we just have great hunky-dory lives. The main goal is for the Lord to transform us into the image of Christ. That's why he saved you. That's why he sanctifies you. It's not just to give you better things. Now, does the Lord bless us? Yes. Does God heal instantaneously sometimes? Yes. Does God want you broke and sick and impoverished? No, I don't believe he, that that's his perfect will for you. But does God allow suffering? Yes. See, that's a tension there in theology. See, a lot of times in theology, we try to make it black and white. It's like, well, if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. 
Or if you're broke, that means that the Lord's blessing's not on you. Maybe you did something wrong. But when you read the Bible and you really read, especially the book of Acts, you see a church that faced all these things but did have great blessing. Sometimes it's not what you possess that's your blessing. It's what you can give away to others. And that's what we see here. I, I heard this. We were at a missions mill recently. This blew me away. Do you know that the number one um, missionaries to the Muslim countries right now are the Chinese? The number one missionaries to the Muslim countries are Chinese. They're not American. They're not even Muslim. You know why God's using the Chinese? Because they've lived in the underground church for so long. They've lived under persecution for so long. They know how to minister under persecution. And they can go in there and baptize people in bathtubs. They can meet in homes all throughout, uh, all throughout the, the, the Middle East and make great impact. But they would not have that opportunity if they would not have faced persecution. And God will allow suffering and allow persecution to be able to shape your life. Here's the other thing too, the other of the terrible twos is forgiveness. But let me talk about offense real quick. Because this passage deals with both. And I believe it's something that believers struggle with. Some of you who are suffering, you back away from God. And you, you step away from God. And, and, and maybe because I'm going through a bad time, I'll just back away. That's the wrong thing to do. But other people, here's the other part of it, they deal with unforgiveness. And they keep unforgiveness and bitterness so locked up inside of them that they end up even physically having pain. They have no relationships that are healthy. And I believe offense is one of the, one of the number one works of the enemy in the body of Christ, guys. It saddens me. And one of the things I've seen more than anything else, somebody get offended and somebody get hurt and it sidelines them from the plan that God has for their life. I've seen young men that want to go into ministry, go to a manual college, spend four years getting a bachelor's degree, and go to a church as a youth pastor, and because some deacons offend them and hurt them, they never step back in the church again. That's the number one ploy and plot of the enemy. There are people today that aren't even at uh, uh, this church or a church because offense creeped into their life. And I'm telling you, the passage this morning deals with the terrible too. And if you can keep these two things in mind and keep them in your scope, I guarantee that you will see God do some amazing things in your life. Now so far, let's recap. We have seen the book of Acts, the church there, explode. 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved. Peter's shadow was healing people. That's, that's a good day, right? <laughs> Things are happening. Last week we talked about the first problem in the church. Widows weren't getting fed. Meals on wheels didn't go by the Grecian widows. And so we see the first, so we saw the, what people call the perfect church have problems. And we learned that last week every church has problems. We will all have problems and we've got to learn to deal with it. But here's where you get to the turning point. When you see a door, you have the hinges on a door, correct? This right here today is the turning point of Christianity that we're going to read. It's probably one of the most, since the, uh, the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, this is probably the most important point for Christianity. And we're going to look more into it next week, but you're going to see what happens. Because until this point, we see Stephen. Stephen preached the longest sermon I think I've ever heard, and it was really difficult, and they stoned him. But it wasn't because he preached a long sermon. But he preached a very long sermon. It was, and I'm going to give you some snippets of it. And just be thankful that Stephen's not your pastor. Because he was pretty tough. And he got stoned. He got martyred. A stone doesn't mean that he uh, smoked something that was funny. That meant that he actually got pelted with stones. Okay? Stephen was martyred. He was the first martyr. But you've got to see that something amazing happened here in this martyrdom. Because until then, the, 
the Christian church was all in Jerusalem. They ministered to Jews and by Jews and through Jews. They were all about Jerusalem. They were stuck in one little place called Jerusalem. And this point here, this martyrdom of Stephen, actually propels the church into the place where they begin to preach the gospel to the world. The persecution that God allowed here, the suffering, changes the game for everything. And here's what we see here, is that the Jews often rejected the leaders that God sent them, right? You read in the Old Testament, they, they rejected the prophets, they stoned them, they rejected Jesus. And now Stephen comes along and now they reject Stephen in the words that he has here. And I love the fact that this rejection here spreads them out to preach to the Gentiles. And I like what one commentator said, this is awesome. Stephen had knowledge on fire. Because sometimes you think that like, man, knowledge will actually make you worse and you don't need a, a degree and all that. And yeah, I agree, you don't need a degree to do anything God's called you to do. But it's awesome to have knowledge on fire. And if you, if you ever get a chance to read this whole sermon, do it. I don't have time today because we may be, be here for a few hours. But what I want you to do is turn to Acts 6 verse 8. We're going to read two passages of scripture and they're going to look at the scripture and break it down. Acts 6 verse 8 and then, then you're going to flip over to Acts 7. I'm not going to make you flip far this morning. As you know, we try to stay in the same place in the Bible and read it verse by verse through. Acts 6, 8 through 15 and then we'll flip to 751. It says this, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. It's amazing that great things are happening and people are still complaining and disputing against him. Wow. People getting healed and other people are upset. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They were lying on him. You ever had that happen? And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. That's the, the, the Jerusalem leaders, the Jewish leaders. And they also set up fault witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. So their argument was, you're going to change our traditions. It's amazing. People were getting healed and set free and somebody was upset because they changed their tradition. He may change our customs. God, let not, don't let ever be us here. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. Now look at 751. Listen to how this angel preaches. This face of an angel man named Stephen. Verse 51, we'll, we'll jump right into Stephen's sermon here. This is um, his, his opening speech. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Remember Stephen's Jewish. Just remember that. Now, he's not anti-Semitic. He's, he's Jewish. He's speaking to his own people here. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, that's Jesus, of whom you now have kept the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. That's speaking of Moses when he brought it by direction of angels. 
When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That's when you're preaching a sermon, and somebody's looking at you going, Thank y'all for never doing that, because that would be so distracting and a little scary. Um, Stephen, however, did not get sidetracked here. I guess that's what gnashing really means. If anybody has a better illustration, we'll let you show it in front of everyone. Okay, just checking. But being full of the Holy Spirit, I want you to focus on this here. This is the, this is the, the point today. Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57. Then they cried, cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. Can you imagine that situation? People stopping their ears to hear. I bet it was so convicting of what he was saying. And they all ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Friends, that's a pretty brutal way to die. They beat the man to death. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Every Bible scholar in here knows this. This is also the turning point because this is the Apostle Paul. He oversaw this killing. You think you have a bad past? Let's check out the Apostle Paul. I, bl I believe he can trump you with that, right? He, he, he agreed. He wanted Stephen to be killed. I'm telling you, it looks so tragic right now. We're looking at this saying, oh my God, this is terrible. Stephen, one of the main deacons, he is killed. This is the worst thing ever. Um, but we'll see what happens uh, in the next few weeks. Let's look at verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, pay very close attention to this as well. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he had died. One of the greatest tragedies that we'd see in the book of Acts, a young man full of promise and hope that was leading the church is stoned and killed. Now friends, I want you to see something about Stephen because there's some things there that it looks very tragic and looks very bad in this situation. But if you're going to understand suffering and offense, you've got to look at this passage here. And Stephen had something that I don't think that we often possess. And I want you to look at this, what Stephen's prayer shows us. And you can write this in your notes. Um, hopefully you have the notes. If not, you can get them as you leave too. But the first point is this. I want you to look at Acts 7.55, then I'll give you what to write down. And it should be on the screen there for you. Number one. But he, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The first thing that Stephen's prayer shows us is sovereignty. It's sovereignty. He was in the worst situation of his life. He's laying there helpless, being stoned. And during all that, he looked into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, some scholars will tell you Jesus is standing because we know Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, right? The Bible tells us that. Some scholars will tell you that he was standing because it was the first martyr. And that could be a possibility. Does the Bible tell us? No. So let me tell you a little secret about Bible interpretation. Are you ready? If it doesn't say it, we don't know. We can only assume. All we do know, Jesus was standing and he saw him standing at the right hand of God. The, the first point it shows us is that his prayer shows us that Stephen knew God was sovereign and in control of the situation. 
He saw that God was in control. See, many of us go through tragic situations. We go through things that hit us in our life and we get angry with God. Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm the only one that gets angry with God a little bit. Maybe you guys have it together. If so, I I need some prayer after service. Because there's times in our life when we wanted a certain outcome and it didn't happen and we get angry. Do you know where anger comes from primarily? The inability to control a situation. And we get upset because we can't control the situation. And we have to literally leave our control there so God can control. We understand he's in control of the situation and it manifests when that happens. Here's the deal. Uh, when we look at Stephen in this situation, and if you ask me my theology, I'm kind of um, a mutt. Some of y'all got that. You know, like, you get little dogs. You know little dogs you get are mutts? I mean, you don't know what they are. They're good dogs. They'll, they'll follow you anywhere. Frankie knows exactly what I'm talking about. We don't really know what they are, but the, the best dogs ever, right? That's kind of what I am in, in theology. Now, now, do I believe we should declare, as I said this morning, to a situation and believe God to break through in that situation? Yes, I do believe that. I believe that we have authority as believers in Christ. That is biblical. Do I believe that we should believe and we should speak positive things about situations? I do believe that too. But can I tell you another part of it? We have carried it to the extreme in a word of faith mentality that is not biblical. Stephen here, I mean watch this. Look at Stephen. Stephen is being stoned. He didn't name it and claim it, did he? He didn't blab it and grab it. He didn't believe it and receive it. This story is not Stephen being delivered like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was. And they were delivered. And sometimes God will deliver you. But sometimes God will leave you in a situation. And you're going to be martyred in that situation. And, and, and what I like here is that Stephen was obedient to God. And this still happened to him. And he didn't get angry at God. He didn't get angry at people. And sometimes you've got to realize, don't you listen here. If you've checked out and you're thinking about your mashed potatoes and gravy and your turkey after lunch, don't you check back in and listen to me real quick. Sometimes you've got to realize that even when people are coming against you, it's all in God's plan. It's not because you've done something wrong or even because of them. Sometimes you need to thank them that they're persecuting you and coming against you because it's working to your benefit and to God's glory. And that's what we see here. God was in control. Stephen saw that. Here's the point. His prayer shows us that God is always in control and is sovereign over everything, even when we're being mistreated. And here's the deal, guys. If you don't understand this, and you don't get the sovereignty and the providence of God. Now, again, I don't understand all that. Where does our responsibility end and God's sovereignty begin? I don't know. There's sometimes that um, you believe God is just in total control and we have no free will. Then you realize that we do have free will. I'm telling you, it's a mystery, isn't it? If you live long enough as a believer, you just don't know where his sovereignty ends and our responsibility begins. Because this, if you don't understand God's providential sovereignty, you will always blame others and harbor resentment. If you don't see that God, through God's hand, he's allowing the suffering to happen for a purpose. And you've got to know the discernment of when to know that and when it may be the enemy. Because sometimes the enemy does do that. But you've got to believe this, guys. I'm telling you something. You've got to believe this. And today, I believe this is for somebody that you've got to believe. He's working all things together for the good of those that love him, who are called according to his purpose. You know what Romans 8, 29 even goes on to say? To conform us into the image of his dear son. It's like a good recipe. 
I mean, you've you got mistreatment, and you've got suffering, then you've got a little bit of blessing, then you've you got some friends for encouragement, and God just begins to work all that stuff together. And he works it together, and you begin to see something great happen. It's like a tapestry. God is weaving and using everything that you're facing for his glory and for your good. But you've got to believe that he is working everything together for your, uh, your purpose and his glory. Amen? Here's the next point. It's suffering. You can write in your notes suffering here and somebody can say, oh me. This is probably not an amen point. Uh, who goes to church and wants to hear suffering? I'm sorry. I mean, I'm just reading the Bible. You know, sometimes you, you, you preach on suffering, you're like, wow, I went to church here about suffering. Yeah, I'm going through it. As a joke. Here's the deal. Suffering. Look at verse 757. Verse 757. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a man named Saul. Here's the deal about suffering. Let me just speak on this just for a second. The first two are going to deal with suffering. The last two points are to deal with offense. Stephen was what? Full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of power and wisdom, right? There was, he was a pretty powerful guy. Did you see that he was doing signs, miracles, and wonders? So nobody here believes that Stephen was being disobedient, do they? He was being obedient. And you'll see this in the book of Acts over and over again. He was being obedient and he had consequences to his obedience. See, you hear preachers all the time talking about, well, there's consequences to your disobedience. And if you go out and drink that beer, then you may get run over by a truck when you leave. And, you'll, and you hear that and you're like, oh, God, oh, man, you know, did I do... And, and you think there's consequences of disobedience. But can I tell you sometimes, believers, you need to be worried about the consequences of obedience sometimes. Because it's when you're obedient and you serve God and you do what he tells you that sometimes it doesn't always work out to be exactly like we thought it would be. But I'm telling you something, man. You do get to see God's will come to pass. And I'll take suffering any day to see his will come to pass than disobedience and not seeing his will come to pass. Suffering. Stephen had to suffer. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. You'll see this as a constant theme of mine. You know why? Because it's a constant theme of the Bible. I had a professor tell me one time, <laughs> we were at the end of biblical interpretation. It was like the hardest class ever, 16 papers. I mean, the professor was amazing. He was my Greek guy too. I love that guy. Um, you guys knew Rob Looper, his son, um, that attended here for a while. It was Dr. Looper. And we're at the end of our, our class and um, he's asking us for some feedback. He, he drove tanks in the military for years. He's a very soft, mild-mannered man, but he drove tanks. So you getting this here? You follow me? So, so at the end of this, this whole class, he says, well, how can we make the class a little better? Is there anything that you'd like to share? Well, he gave me a zero on a paper. I'd done the whole paper perfect, made an A because I didn't put one statement at the end. And the statement was this. You must thoughtfully, I've thoughtfully and thoroughly followed every step. I didn't put that. He, zero. But you did have one zero dropped, Okay. And we had talked about it. But I raised my hand. I said, and you know how sometimes you, you throw a pity party. I said, Dr. Looper, I said, um, I'm really upset because you, you gave me a, a zero on that paper. And it, it really hurt me that you did that. <laughs> he stopped and he's like, he's just looking. He's like, hmm, hmm. You know, he's, hmm he's pondering. He's a very, you know, Kevin, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And he, he stands up. Kind of like Jesus standing right. He, he stood off his stool. He said, I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up. Because you, you didn't follow the step that I asked you to, and you didn't do what I asked you to do, so you deserved a zero. 
I was like, oh God, what have I done? And then he says, well, but, but let, let me just say this. He says, class teachable moment. He says, we see Jesus as this meek and mild-mannered man who walked around and just gave kids hugs and kisses and were nice to poor people. He says, but Jesus was someone who operated in right and wrong too. He says, he actually called Peter Satan in front of the whole group. He said, I bet that probably hurt uh, Peter's feelings too, Kevin. <laughs> he said... Jesus actually hurt people's feelings. Can you believe that? He actually made a whip of cords and drove people out of the temple one time. But that is not fluffy Jesus who, who rides around on a donkey and just, just you know, loves on children and makes balloon animals and stuff. This is Jesus who operated in authority. And here's the point. Here's why I gave this story. He said, friends, here's the problem. He said, all these Bible students this. He says, we don't know the Christ of the Bible. We know the Christ that we have made up in our minds. We have an imaginary... He says, we really don't know what the scriptures say, so then we expect people to act like, you know, be Christian, but we don't know what Christian really is, is we don't know the Bible. And, you know, that was probably the most discouraging thing ever is when you have majored in a subject and you're at the end of one of your classes and your professor tells you that you don't know the, the, the Christ of the Bible. But you know something, guys? He was exactly right. I got my feelings hurt. But it was because I didn't know what the Bible was really saying about those things. And I thought that, man, if you're a Christian, you never hurt anybody's feelings. You never do this and that. Now, that does not mean for you guys to be mean. Some of you are like, yeah. I am going to rail into somebody with the Bible today and tell them they don't know it. Now, I'm not telling you that. But what I'm saying here, and I said this, I said this here, suffering. We don't have a theology of suffering because we really don't know the Bible. We know scriptures, but we don't know the Bible sometimes. And, and even as I'm investigating the book of Acts, I'm seeing this stuff. I'm like, Lord, I, you know, I, my God, can I throw away tapes I have preached in the past? There are some things I want to burn that I preach because it is not in, in consistency with the theme of the Bible. And what we see here in the book of Acts is we see this guy suffered. He was stoned at the hands of his enemies. See, in other parts of the world, the persecuted church is the fastest growing because the suffering Christian is where they are most like Christ. See, when you're suffering, you are most like him. That's when you come to know Jesus. See, Paul said this, I wish I could know Christ and the fellowship of his, come on church, sufferings. Have you ever prayed that prayer recently? But see, that's not prayers that we pray. We, we, we have the prayers that God sends us when we send him money. He sends us a singing angel and a bunch of prayers and, and, you know, and a special little bottle of oil that he sends us. But we don't get to pray these prayers here. And here's the deal. We, we're reading this prayer because he suffered. We're not reading this prayer because he saw great breakthrough. And he didn't sit there and say positive stuff to it went over. This is not happening. This is not happening. This is not happening. Nobody's coming against me. Nobody's coming against me. You, you never see that. I've never seen anybody do that. Now, am I saying going around speaking negativity? No, that's just not wise. But a lot of things that we learn, we don't see some of the greatest men and women in the Bible doing here. And here's the deal. He was ready to offer forgiveness to those who were causing him suffering. And here's what William Batten said. This rocked my world this week. From Fortune magazine, he said, When I hear my friends say they hope their children don't have to experience the hardships that they went through, I don't agree. Have I got your attention now? Those hardships made us what we are. You can be disadvantaged in many ways, and in one way, it may not be having to have struggle. 
See, struggle makes you who you are sometimes. Suffering makes you who you are. And there's seasons that God will send it and there's not relief. And I'm going to tell you something. When you've done all you can do and you've prayed the prayers and people have laid hands on you and you've had every bit of oil in the county brought to your house and dumped on your head to be prayed for and nothing changes, you better pay close attention that you may be trying to rebuke God. And God is using the situation to shape you and to mold you into his image. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. When you sit with a saint that has been through suffering, they never tell you, I wish I would have never went through that. They will always look back and say, God worked in a way that I never thought he would have in my life. I'm so much better. You can't teach morality without suffering. How many parents can do that? If you let your kids get everything they want, Every time they want, what we call those, those kids? Spoiled. And sometimes that's how we are as Christians. Now your daddy loves you, but the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. You know what discipline is? It don't mean he punishes you. God doesn't punish you. He's not mad at you and he's ready to strike a lightning bolt down on you. It means that he shapes those into his image in which he loves. And sometimes, friends, he uses suffering to do that. Here's the, the third point this morning. The solid foundation of forgiveness. You can write that in your notes. The solid foundation of forgiveness. His prayer shows us that he understood forgiveness is not based on the depth of the offense, but the gift of Christ's love. Look at verse 760. Chapter 7, verse 60. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he died. Friends, okay, show me what you're going through. Let, let's sit down, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying it, what you're going through. Believe me, I'm not. I'm, I'm very sympathetic. I'll sit and pray with you. I'll listen. I'll help counsel. Um, show me what you're going through. Let's look at what Stephen was going through. I believe his offense right there trumps all of our offenses. Well, somebody called me a name this week. Did you get stoned to death? <laughs> What excuse do you have for holding a fence that Stephen didn't have? See, we have no reason to ever hold an offense against somebody. Because Stephen was stoned to death. He didn't get his feelings hurt. He got killed. (laughs) And we get our feelings hurt and we refuse to forgive people. We refuse. I mean, you still have your life. But he, at this last prayer of his life, he didn't say, because I probably, and I'm going to be real with you, I probably would have prayed an imprecatory psalm. Let me tell you what an imprecatory psalm is. It's when David would pray that they would break their teeth in their mouth and arrows would pierce their legs. I'd be like, Lord, they're stunning me. Break their teeth in their mouth and pierce them with legs. So pierce their legs with arrows, excuse me. I'm just being real with you. And if you can be honest, you probably would pray the same thing too. I doubt you sit and be like, Lord, just forgive these lovely people. Don't charge them, but charge their sin to them. If they don't repent, I pray you burn them up with the wrath of God when they get in front of you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm just telling you how, I, and the Lord's still working on my heart too. But, but listen to this. <laughs> oh, I actually prayed that. When I first got saved, I prayed that. I played in a, in a punk rock band. You guys know. I was not your typical church guy. If I walked in, you'd all be praying to get me saved because of the way I look. But I really love Jesus. And we played with this guy in his band. His, his guitar strap said, and I'm going to tell you exactly what it said, eternal life would suck. That's what his guitar strap said. It said that. And he would get on stage and make fun of us as believers because we played in totally non-Christian places. And when we recorded, he came to the place we recorded. I mean, this is like the book of Acts stuff. 
He lived like 20 minutes, so he came and he ridiculed me the whole time. How can you believe that junk? And he knew the Bible back and forth. He'd been to Sunday school. And I was so mad at this guy. One day we were playing and he stands up and he says, Friends, the next band that comes up are going to offer salvation to you through the name of Jesus. And these people all hated like religion. So we're like, oh gosh. And he just began to talk trash about us and about Jesus. And even, even after the concert, he comes up and I'm talking to a group of non-Christian guys. We're connecting. He grabs my hand. He kneels down and says, Will you please lead me into the path of salvation? I'm ready to say the sinner's prayer, brother. And I'm sitting with all these non-Christian guys who really don't like religion. I was so angry. I'm going to tell you, I didn't know this at the time. But do you know what I prayed? God, break his teeth in his mouth, please. I don't care if he ever sings another song again. Now, and again, I was, I've been saved a year. So give me a little credit here, okay? But I prayed those songs. But Stephen didn't do that. He forgave. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. One of the truest signs of Christian maturity is not how long you've been in a church. It's not how many Sunday school stars you've got. It's not even how many scriptures you've memorized. One of the greatest signs of maturity is how you handle offense. Amen. Amen. Mature people know how to handle offense. Immature people do not know how to handle it. They're easily offended and they find it hard to forgive. See, a mature person is hard to offend. You can kick them in their shin. And they're like, I love you. I might just send you a card for doing that. <laughs> See, that, that's a mature person. Immature people will get really upset and be like, you kick me, I'm getting ready to stomp you upside your head. That's how immature people act. And let me just say this, and I said this to my church in Florida. I was a youth pastor for six years. When I left youth ministry, I thought that I left middle school stuff there. You know what I find out about adults? You just hide it better. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And you know that they're not talking and they haven't talked for like, I've never seen them have a conversation. There's, I'm pointing to the distance. I'm not pointing to anybody in here. I'm just pointing over there to imaginary people. I was like, you know, they've never talked. They've never, I wonder why they haven't. And you get looking and you realize, and somebody say, oh, you didn't hear the story. Yeah, um, they had, you know, and the story is, it's not a real story, I'm just making it up. Yeah, they had this little bowl here, and this bowl was here for years, and then somebody moved it, and they got so mad that they never talked to that person again. You're like, really? They moved the bowl, and they got mad? But guys, now I'm exaggerating, but if you've been a Christian more than a day, that stuff happens, doesn't it? And it shouldn't be, offense should not be part of our vocabulary that we get offended very easy. Because here's what I've seen. And I'm going to say this because I believe you guys are mature people. I do. I believe, I've been around you. Cold shoulders are the signs of a heart that does not know how to forgive. I'll say it one more time. Cold shoulders are the signs of a heart that does not know how to forgive. I believe some of you here today, there's people who have hurt you and they've said things and they've done things to you and you need to forgive them. Now listen to me, this sermon's not on forgiveness. I've got a whole, whole series on that. But I want to say this here. It's not based on whether or not they apologize to you. And you don't have to go to them and say, you know what? I forgive you. Sometimes you don't need to tell them. You know who you probably need to talk to about it? God. And let me give you just a little piece of practical advice. Because isn't forgiveness the hardest thing to do? It's not the thing we're all like, yeah, I need to forgive. Amen. And then we're like, oh, gosh. You wake up in the morning and you're like even more angry at the person you were when you came to church. How do you deal with that? You've got to verbally release that person from the Lord every day. That's what you do. Now, why do you do that? Because he forgave you so much. 
Amen? That's maturity. And the depth of your forgiveness will never equal the depth of his offense. It was funny. Um, one of the things that I teach when I mentor young people is this. You will get bitter or you'll get better in life. When you have an offense happen, you have a tragedy, either you'll get bitter at the person in the situation or you'll, get, or you'll get better. And I saw a young guy post that recently and it really encouraged me because he was going through a very tragic situation where somebody had hurt him deeply. And he posted that thing there. Remember that, guys. When you're going through it and somebody stones you and they hurt you, you can get bitter or you can get better. And here's the deal. You need to pray this. You need to pray, Lord, make me a potato. Now, let me explain for a second. See, a tragedy is similar to being plunged into boiling water. If you're an egg, your affliction and your tragedy will make you hard-boiled and unresponsive. But if you're a potato, you will emerge soft and pliable, resilient and adaptable. So our prayer when we're going through things is, Lord, make me a potato. Don't let me be an egg. Let me be soft and pliable to the will that you have for my life. Stephen prayed that. He didn't say those words, but he prayed that. And, and let me just say this too on, on this deal with, with forgiveness. I, I originally spoke this message in a series called Prayers That Shake the World. If you can't shake an offense, you'll never be able to pray prayers that shake the world. If you can't shake an offense, you'll never qualify yourself for praying prayers that shake the world. And here's the final point this morning. Number four, scriptural model. The scriptural model. It should be up there. They're doing really good. Give those guys a hand back there, man. It's the first time that they're working with me on the PowerPoint section here. And Victor gave himself the loudest hand in the place. Way to go, Victor. And Jordan, if you'll, if you'll come. His prayer shows us that this should be our model lifestyle. Look at verse 760 one more time and then we'll look at another scripture. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he died. Now look at Luke, Luke 23, 34. Jesus said this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Doesn't Stephen's situation look very similar to a man named Jesus? Suffering, being mistreated, being killed at the hands of people who he's trying to serve. And Jesus said, forgive them. God, forgive them. Isn't it amazing that Stephen, in his final words, was saying, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. See, friends, this is our scriptural model of lifestyle. When you're facing suffering, and let me just put it this way, when you're facing suffering at the hands of other people, let this be your model of lifestyle. Understand that God is sovereign in your situation. Because so many times we forget that. And we let situations, we think that the devil's in control or situation's in control or God is not in control. And I said, I said this this morning during, during our time and I believe the Lord was just sharing this with me this week as I was praying for you. Hebrews 13 says, fix your eyes upon Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. When Stephen was going through the worst trial of his life, he fixed his eyes upon Jesus. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Let me ask you this morning. I don't know what you faced this week. And maybe you're having the greatest week of your life. Maybe this is just the best week ever. And this is not for you. This is for like your neighbor. And you can give them the CD. But I believe God has people here today that are facing some extreme suffering. 
They're going through some things they didn't think they would go through. Let me tell you something. Can you see Jesus standing at the right hand of God? Do you see God in control of everything that you're going through? We've got to continue to keep the mindset that, Lord, you are in control no matter what I am seeing around me. As I said earlier, fix your eyes upon him because he will never change. And if you'll keep your... Listen, the waves will, will get very, very high. It's going to get windy. It's going to get rocky sometimes. But if you'll keep your eyes upon Him and keep moving toward Him, you'll make it to the destination. Amen. I want to pray for you guys this morning. If you will, just bow your head and close your eyes.